Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 34 for Monday, October 5th, 2015. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton here in los gatos california it's paul kent <laughs> how you doing mr kent doing pretty good we're getting into the fall here and uh life is taking on different patterns music's taking on different patterns it's all good that's good man that's good yeah mm-hmm. fall here too uh it it like arrived very suddenly I think about a week ago yep. today. Yeah. Just like, you know, all right, it's no longer summer, <laughs> but that's yeah, fine. We, we played our last, we played our last outdoor gig of the year on uh, Saturday night and uh, it was 80 degrees during the day, but it was uh, a low sixties by the time we took it. And, and it was just a, it just hasn't been that weather for so long. I've had a miserable cold this week and I had five gigs in a row. Oh. And I had to sing through a miserable cold and I was feeling like pretty good. I was getting through them. Yeah. But then this, this really cold night just wiped me out. Yeah, that can do it. It can go either way when it's, when it's cold, right? It can, it can open you up or it can close you down. Yep. Was it just you singing or do you have other people? No, actually I was pretty conservative about it. So it was uh, Wednesday was the trio acoustic trio. Thursday was going to be just me. But I asked Nick from the House Rockers to come and kind of sit in. Nice. It's just a two-hour. Yeah, it was just a two-hour gig. So he brought his keys and we did some. He did some originals and we did a few together. And he did some by himself. And I, and I took it pretty easy. Then a private House Rocker gig on Friday. Oh, nice. And then a yeah, and then a public House Rocker gig on Saturday. And then uh, it was kind of it, it was a mixture of the trio and some special guests on Sunday afternoon. So it was a lot of singing, you know, for when I was feeling really well. I had, I did your trick. I did the um, ibuprofen. Yeah. Okay. Right. But the sinuses were so clogged. Actually, I did prednisone. (laughs) Okay. I went for the the heavy stuff. Yeah. And did that, did that open up your throat pretty well too? Throat wasn't a problem. It was all runny nose and, and clogged up, clogged, no resonance. Got it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, we make do with what we can. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's one of those things you want to be a musician and, you know, the, the, the conditions are not always perfect. So what are you going to do? And it's actually, I, I felt pretty good to tough it out, figure it out, get it done. And I actually had, you know, five pretty reasonably solid nights of, of making music. So it, it, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, you, you test your middle. Yeah. Oh, listen, I, that's what I've been doing for the last month here playing gigs. So I, I feel yeah. the pain. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about it. So you actually, you decided you couldn't do any worse. And so you couldn't hurt it any worse. And so in you went. That's where, right. Where no man fears to tread. That's yeah. I have less sense than fear or less fear than sense. <laughs> whatever, whatever that is. That's the truth. No, I, um, we didn't talk about this last week cause we, uh, cause we had Dan East of course join us, but, uh, a week ago, Saturday, I didn't have any gigs this past weekend. I've been, uh, not, going after too many I, I actually had one offered to us but I, I turned it down because it would have had to have been a full electric gig and I said no wow. um, 
I wanted to give myself one extra week. I saw my doctor Thursday. He said, go another week and then you're, you're fine. And, uh, I could have done a gig this weekend, but I thought, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll better to wait a week now and not have any trouble three years from now. Kind of thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So how'd they go? Uh, the gig last weekend went well. It was, it was an acoustic gig. Uh, we, we turned it into an acoustic gig, which I think we would probably have done anyway. Uh, so this is the gig that it was uh, the last time that the gig is ever going to happen. And they yeah. love you guys. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it was, it was interesting. Um, Fling has not played acoustic as all five of us in a long time. And, and so there were, there were multiple conditions that were non-optimal. My, my wrist, I did not use my left wrist. So playing acoustic, I just played one handed on the, uh, on the pitch slap on the cajon. Uh, I actually used my, I have one of those actually for my birthday. My family got me uh, one of those uh, foot tambourines. So I actually used oh, that. Yeah. I used that somewhat. And occasionally I'd put an egg shaker in my left hand. Cause I could do that with my elbow and shoulder without, you know, moving my wrist. And I kept my wrist in the splint through the gig. So keep it from, you know, keep from hurting it or moving it too much. That's rock and roll, man. It was rock and roll. And actually <laughs> that part of it went really well. We had, we had sound issues on, on stage and, and a lot of it just came down to um, lack of, I'll just say lack of familiarity for the, for that band as a whole playing acoustic. It uh, throughout the whole first set, we were just having weird feedback and stuff. And it was really frustrating. And finally, I guess I hadn't been singing many tunes. Uh, I was singing harmonies or whatever. And then I went to sing one tune and I realized it was like, whoa, you know, we have the monitors way too loud. Uh, you know, it was just like, cause it, the song before that, I was telling a couple of the guys, I'm like, you guys got to turn down. It's just so loud. And then I went and sang, I was like, it's not just them. It's everything. So I reached back during, you know, break between verses or whatever. And I just brought, you know, the monitors down probably 10 DB. I was like, Oh, that's much better. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I, I'm used to doing acoustic gigs. I do a lot of them with a different outfit. Um, but as Fling, we're not used to it, and the, and the guys are all kind of used to having volume at a certain level because there's usually loud drums on stage. You know, we're used to playing electric, and um, and so it was just it was easy to let it all kind of creep up. And finally, once we realized it, it was like, oh, and the second set was much better. Uh, you know, we just had everything dialed in; it was just too loud. So it is a weird thing when it takes you a while to figure out that that volume is the thing that's making you fight the show. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, especially if you gig a lot. You kind of think you know what you're doing all the time, but if volume is just one of those things, you know, same room, different room. It just all of a sudden, if you don't pay attention to it and all you're like, why is this so hard? Yeah. And you just realize is that you're pushing harder than you have to. You're, you're, you're struggling to hear, you know, nuance around you. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh God, that's it. So, so it was, and it's it, hard. this was weird. Cause acoustic, basically the only thing that was, you, you know, uh, non-amplified and actually it was amplified was the pitch slap, but it, you know, it makes, it makes a decent amount of noise. It's not a ton, but I actually, my problem was I, I felt like I couldn't get close enough to the mic to, to sing. I was like having to back off cause I was just blasting myself. I was like, Oh, there's yeah. a problem. I just, okay. I need to be able to belt on this tune and I can't because the, yeah. m- the speakers are so loud. Yeah. Yeah. I think most bands, most you get this, you get these moments where you, truly feel what you still have power. You still have, you know, some, some cojones, but, but what it feels like to be relaxed in balance. Yes. And that, that's, that's like the, that's the Holy grail of gigging. I mean, you know, you see pro bands and you know, they've got to be, you know, in, in a big arena stuff, 
you know it's got to be plenty loud on stage. Sure. But, but there's a um there's kind of this nirvana spot where where it just is right. I mean, you're not pushing to get vocals out. You're not afraid to get too close to the mic, you know, all these types of things. Yep. And you just hear no one. I actually find this a lot with playing acoustic guitar because I need to like, especially if I'm finger picking, I really need to hear the nuance of the guitar. Sure. And if I can't, you know, fighting that like strumming an electric guitar is, you know, that's a, that's not a, a terribly nuanced thing. Um, and I play a pretty um, like arpeggiated style, like, you know, in our band, that's kind of one of the sounds of our band is I play kind of jangly when mm. we're playing a rhythm and uh, you know, some other guy plays a power chord or, you know, that type of thing. But when it's acoustic guitar, if I have to fight the acoustic guitar, my playing goes all to hell. I mean, you know, the, the attack that you have on picking that type of thing, if it's not relaxed and easy, it just, it makes it almost impossible to play the guitar. Well, yep. I, and I'll, I'll even say that about playing the drums. If I can't hear, and it sounds ridiculous to think, but using in ears and stuff, I'm separated from the instrument, you know, somewhat. And if I can't hear, kind of the air of the drums, I'll wind up hitting harder and, and having to work yeah. hard. And, you know, it's just, and that's why I'll, with any ears, I, I put a, uh, I put an overhead mic up, even if we're not going to put the, you know, even if the club is too small to need that, uh, I'll put it up anyway so that I can hear it. And, uh, and it makes a big difference because yeah, you just want to play relaxed. You don't want to have to belt, you know, vocally or with your instrument. Um, but once you have a taste of what that perfect balance is, that's something that's you really problem. strive for. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like good tequila. If you say so. Yeah. Well, you know, once you've had like really good tequila, yeah. it's really hard to go back to not good tequila. Once yeah, you've not, had really good sound, yeah. it's hard to go back to not good sound. That's true. That's true. Even though really good tequila can be, still be pretty harsh, though. Good sound should be nice and smooth, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't nice. Nice, nice crossing of metaphors there. There you go. That's a, Hey, that's my yeah. job, right? So are you back in full action now? Well, uh, about 10 minutes before we started recording tonight, I was sitting, I came over to the studio a little early and I thought, all right, now's the time. So uh, for the first time in a month, I sat and played my drums and actually things went really, it was fine. No problem. No pain at all? No. No, and then and then I got cocky and I played traditional grip. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's one thing to play, you know, and just moving my wrist up and down, which is essentially what matched grip is, where, you, where you've got the same grip with both sticks. Uh, but traditional grip is where the you know the forearm is really rotating. The left forearm is, um, and that's yeah. that's kind of what you'll see a lot of jazz guys do. I mean, not, it's not exclusive to jazz guys, but tends to tends to happen there more more often than not. So for those of you that aren't drummers, that's, that's what that is when you, when it's, uh, you know, the stick is kind of going across the hand and the hand is open. And I played traditional for a little while and surprisingly that didn't hurt. I really expected that to, to throw me for a loop, but, um, why do you not play traditional? Like when you and I play together, I don't know if I've ever seen you play traditional. Uh -huh. Why wouldn't you play that style in rock music? I'm trying to think if you have you. Yeah, you probably haven't. That's probably true. I, I go through phases with it. Traditional is harder to get a consistent crack out of the drum uh, out of the snare um and and it and and also it, it's it's more difficult well it depends on how you have the drum set set up um but you know you lose a lot of your um 
reach on the left side of the kit because if you think about you know how your hand has to be you got to go much further left uh, to, to get to the the drums over there so it depends on how many drums i'm playing with and, and all that but um but to get a, a really solid backbeat with a traditional grip it's not impossible and there are plenty of excellent drummers who do it uh but it it takes it takes work so i won't i typically won't do gigs traditional unless I've been playing that way a lot. And, and like I said, I go through phases with it and, and to do that, you know, it, it requires a lot of work with the thumb to just get that, that, that backbeat to snap uh, just the right way. It's, it's just easier for me to do it. Um, I saw that movie, the wrecking crew over the weekend. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's fantastic. It's on Netflix. It's all about the studio musicians that played on just about every, every big hit to come out of LA, you know, in the, in the kind of mid sixties to uh, early seventies. And you know who Hal Blaine is? I, I sure do. Yeah. So he, he was the kind of the center of the, of the wrecking crew. He was the drummer. So, you know, on all the beach, they played on all the beach boy records. They played on the Sonny and Cher records, you know, the association, you know, all those, he was on eight, I think it was eight records of the year. Wow. He yeah. was the drummer. Yeah. Right. So, but you actually got to watch this movie because it's fantastic. Tommy De- Tedesco, uh, and you know, all of the, all of the bands, I mean, th- these guys were essentially, uh, they're like the left, the funk brothers of the LA scene. Of the LA scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. But you got to check it out. I mean, and it's a lot about Hal Blaine. He's kind of, he's one of the central stories of it. The movie was actually made by Tommy Tedesco's son. Okay. And, and, you know, Tedesco played on, man, he played on not only amazing, great records, but you know, like, you know, the theme from mash and, you know, all these amazing TV shows. And it's an interesting view into what it was like to be a session musician during a really hot scene, but it's all about how, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, standing in the shadows of Motown and the story of the funk brothers. This is what was happening in LA at the time. Yep. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. Great, great film. Cool. Anyway. Oh, the point of all that is uh, how Blaine definitely used a traditional grip. Yep. And he, uh, in certain, in certain instances had actually fairly decent sized kits. Yeah. It, I mean, it, like, like I said, it, you know, you can play, you can do everything traditional that you can with match grip. There's no question about it. It just, I, I can't, <laughs> um, not, not usually it, it's just, you know, I, I spent more of my life playing match grip than, than traditional. Although a lot of my rudiments and stuff that I learned kind of early on, I definitely learned traditional. And so I've got a lot right. of that. Yeah. And, and jazz stuff I actually find it easier to be more nuanced with yes. traditional grip. Yes. Uh, for me, you know, but you I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, well, know. because it's the, it's that art of the flick of the wrist, right? As opposed to just like a, a snap of the wrist, right? It's it, it could just it seems obvious from the attack of the way that you're hitting the stick to the drum that a traditional grip, you know, you're 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 coming down with the stick up on the top of your hand, you know, or angled, I guess. Yeah. Whereas whereas match grip, you know, the stick is facing down by and large. That's right. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and it 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 what I find with traditional grip is I can use my fingers a lot more. Um, whereas with, with match grip, I'm using my, my pinky and my ring finger to really kind of get the finesse and control the stick with traditional. It's, um, the fulcrum still kind of sits with the thumb, but, um, but I can use my, my middle and, and index finger to really kind of work the stick. And is, is traditional grip kind of a lost art? I mean, are, do, do, do kids starting out in drums, traditional drum lessons, are they still taught traditional grip? Um, it depends on the teacher, but I, I see plenty of young drummers using it. No, it, it's, it's probably the same percentage of drummers using it now that we're using it when I grew up 
you know, in, right. in the 80s, which which still is not the majority. But but there's plenty. Uh, I mean, I, there's there's one kid and I can't think of his name that I follow on on YouTube. And I mean, he's probably in his 20s, uh, but uh, plays traditional and is a monster and just just slippery grooves and and great stuff. I say I follow him on YouTube. I meant Instagram. He, he, he so I just have this grooves. I, I have this like a subjective observation that kids taking guitar lessons now um, in order to keep kids attention, it seems like they're that, that instructors are taking them right into songs a lot earlier than fundamentals and scales and, you know, a lot of things. And so the style of learning in order to keep kids attention now seems to be a little bit of a, more of a path of least of resistance than on pure you know, rudiments and fundamentals. Uh, yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you've got to get people's, attention and you you have to you have to create that spark of interest right there it needs to be fun and you need to create and allow for that fun to happen and then kind of give them a taste of all right well here now you're having fun you know what to do but if you work really hard you can do this other thing you know and but there need i think there needs to be that that you know it, it, you can't force somebody to learn Right. It ha- the desire has to come from within. And and so maybe playing songs is the right way to do that. That's certainly the way I started with drums. Um, Interesting. It, yeah. I, well, I guess that's not true. I started just you must I, you knew to read. Right. Didn't you learn to read? Yeah, I did. That's true. I, I started um, I was coerced into playing in the middle school because I had a snare drum at home. And. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it very quickly, I kind of, you know. It's like, oh, this can be fun. You know, there there has to be that fun. And that's certainly how I taught my daughter. Uh, I got her going was with. That's that. interesting because I would actually say this. Like if I was talking to parents of, you know, their kids want to learn guitar, yeah. you know, they want to get in a band or something like that. And they were to ask, I would actually say how important it is to tough it out, learn to read like right from the beginning. I, like, I, don't, I, I, I don't disagree I would with think that. It, yeah. And that's not fun. And that's slow. And it's, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not just jumping into your favorite song and showing off your friends. And so I, I regret that I didn't learn to read early on. Now I can, you know, I, I read like a, a second grader, right? I can piece together sure. my way through a piece of sheet music. Right. Yep. But I, when I see the guys in my group, especially the ones that are professional musicians, it is such an essential tool for communicating music to other people. You, you know, again, a lot of rock musicians, you listen to music and, and you almost by osmosis pick up, a lot of things. So you don't know, you don't know the technicalities that you're learning at the time. Right. And you know, sure. You, you know, you learn to count in a song and you, you know, you learn to count to four for a measure, that type of thing. But when Sometimes. I hear <laughs> uh, preferably, yeah. um, when I hear, when I hear in my band, uh, the, the trained musicians working through a technical problem, I, I wish I could keep up with that conversation. Yeah. It, I, I will say that. I mean, I, you know, I think it's important to read I, and, and I, I mean, it has served me very, very well. Um, I don't know that it's the first thing you need to learn, but it's one of the, it, it, you know, you need to, you need to start that spark and then immediately get into reading and, and all of that. But yeah, it, it is the, it's the common language, right? It allows you to very efficiently discuss an issue uh with, with with terms that everybody's familiar with, right? I mean, it, and competency, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But also, know, right along with that, theory and ear training, right? It, well, you know, it's, it's reading. It's, it's 
one in the same. They're to all me. intertwined. Yeah. 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 But you're right. It is different. You can know how to read and not understand theory. And that's certainly true of a drummer. Right. And because, you know, you don't chord structure is you could be a fantastic drummer, I guess, and not understand chord structure. I mean, I think it's somewhere along the line. You'd want to dig into that to to get deeper into the music and understand where the changes need to happen and how to set those up and how to think about them. But but you you know, there's nothing specific about playing the drums that requires you to understand chord changes. Right. right. Um, but but so we had um we had a, a, a pretty good big band out here in the Bay area that was run by Louis Belson. Mm. So, you know, legendary, you know, band leader, legendary drummer. And the horn players in my band who played in that band said, those were Louis Belson's original charts were the m- most difficult charts that they ever had to read down. I mean, they just really complex arrangements. And uh, I am always really fascinated about drummers who know, you know, theory and, you know, melody and all those types of things is, you know, it it doesn't dawn on me that that's part of learning drums. It is. Yeah. And I'm, I had a teacher early on um, who really instilled that in me and, and made sure I understood the importance of it. He was a working guy, you know, he worked in theater, he worked, he played jazz gigs. He, he was a professional musician. That's all he did. And obviously lessons was a part of that. But, um, but he was a monster player and he really made sure I understood first. It started just with song forms, right? Understanding, you know, that there's different sections of the tune and counting and feeling that, you know, okay, this is an eight bar phrase. This is another eight bar phrase and they're different from each other. And you should just intuitively know when that eight bar phrase comes around. And that is not true of all musicians, right? I mean, if you don't. If you don't pay attention, if that is never taught to you and it, it can be taught kind of by osmosis, especially if you're in school bands and things like that, because you're always doing that. But I've I've met and played with many rock musicians who really don't they don't know that that these eight bar phrases exist and even worse, don't feel them like, you know, might be in the middle of a solo and have no idea where the turnaround is. Like, oh, man, well, I got I got to raise my hand here and I drive my band. Nate's nuts. There will, there will be times. And, and Nick actually is funny. Cause he says to me, it's often like if the band is vamping behind me mm-hmm. and if I talk, if I talk to the audience, I lose the one often. Right. Yeah. And I'll count, I'll count something in on a three or something like that. And the guys will just look at me like, are you from <laughs> Mars? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's different if you're, I mean, if you're not playing, I mean, if you're stopping and talking, that's, I, I mean, you got to cut a guy some slack there. I feel like, <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know. I, you know, but um, it should be right. It should, it, but it, it should, should be right. And certainly when you're playing, you know, if you're playing solos or whatever, you know, don't start looking at people at, at, at measure five, like, all right, let's end now. It's like, no, 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 no. The song's got yeah. eight bar <laughs> phrases. Play. Don't look you're at gone. me, you know, or if you give me the signal, the signal to me means, at the end of the eighth bar, this is the last one, right? But not at the end of this bar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you ever been a not generous musician? Have you ever like some guy ticked you off? Yeah. And you're not, you're not going to help him, right? Yep. You're just going to like keep your head down, play your part. And he has to figure out where he is. Yeah. I've done I, that. I, I don't see that in your personality. Really? You've done that. <laughs> You've been that guy. I have been that guy. Yeah. I, I, yeah, of course I could, because I mean, it, you know, we all have our, our fuses, right. And, and at some point it's like, all right, dude, you know what? You got to figure this out for yourself. And sometimes a little trial by fire 
that's what it takes to decide to go home and get, get in the woodshed. Get a little humility. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been, but I've also been on the other side of that and I know how terrible it feels. So it, yeah. it's not my, I, I mean, I, I cop to this cause you asked me the question and I'll be honest, but it's not my proudest moments for sure. But uh, you know, it happens sometimes it's just like, like there's no other way to teach you than to watch you drive off this cliff, you know, <laughs> uh, see ya. <laughs> that's not, and that's not true, but in the moment, you know, it feels right. It's not good. It's not good. You gotta yeah. be, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I get that way with harmonies too. Sometimes it just gets frustrating. Um, when it's not coming together and somebody's not, you know, working it out and holding up their yeah. end of it. It's like, come on. Yeah. But I, but again, I'm not perfect. I, I screw things up all the time, all the time. So it's, you know, how do you feel when you screw things up? Do you, do you like, are you mad at yourself? Are you mad about letting your band down? Are you like, well, you guys screw up too. you know, cut me some slack. <laughs> what, what, like, what, what do you, how do you process it when, when you do something that is like the whole band is like, what the heck? Uh, yes. And yes. I feel mad at myself. Um, I feel uh, mad that I let the band down. I do not, expect the band to cut me any slack um but often they you apologize oh yeah yeah i mean listen you get through it like you don't stop in the middle of a tune and say hey guys i'm really sorry i just screwed that last you know um but of course yeah yeah and i'll i'll cop to it and and own it um but it it's not good i mean i i I beat myself up about it big time yeah yeah Do, do you play with anybody now who's a little um less forgiving than they should be. Is there, if there, is there anybody you play with now that if, if, uh, if something goes awry, they're always the one to, to point it out. Um, none of the bands that I currently play with, I'm probably the, the least forgiving person in any band that I'm in. Um, and, and again, that's not a proud moment to say this, but I guess we're in uh, we're in Dave therapy tonight. So, uh, but the theater stuff for sure uh, you know, I work with a lot of different music directors and the expectation is you show up and you know, your stuff cold and they yeah, deliver the goods. You, that's your job, you know? And, but, but the flip side of that is they understand that nobody's getting rich doing this. It, you know, it, it, we're all friends. Uh, if, if you need to, you know, if the call time is an hour before curtain and you've got your kids hockey game to go to, and you can only be there 20 minutes before curtain, that's fine. But at curtain, it's go time. Showtime, yeah, yeah. Actually, you, this is another reason you should check out that the movie, The Wrecking Crew, because it's all about these session guys and that band leaders, producers would bring in charts in all states of appropriateness, yeah, and it was their job: read them down and make and make you know make a song out of it. Figure it out. Yeah, don't complain to me about it. You know, yeah. It, it with the theater stuff, you if. If anything, you get one time through to complain about, dude, this chart's a mess. And then after that, it's like, well, you, okay. you, you, you own it. it. You know, you had your chance. Yep. Now it's your chart. Yep. You get the one pass and that's fine. But, and, and that's usually how it goes in, with the theater stuff. It's you get, you know, one pass at anything and hopefully it happens during a rehearsal. Um, and then that's it. Then it's, you know, it, you are expected to be perfect. Even if it's just community theater, you know, I, I mean, think that's you're not good, saving though. lives. <laughs> it doesn't, no, but it doesn't but really right, matter, but yeah, but there's right. And there's not right. And that's correct. You know, if you're going to do it, do it right. I, you know, I, I agree with that. 
And actually, I do too. You know, I, yeah, no, it, it's it's refreshing. I mean, sometimes when I'm the one screwing up and the spotlight's on me uh, in a very bad way, um, it's not fun, but it is refreshing because you know what's expected of you. And the good part is you can expect it of everyone around you. And it's not sure. unreasonable, right? So it does actually suit me as kind of the, you know. Well, but think about it, it. Think about what the what the the flip side of that is. If you didn't have that oh. and everybody had their interpretation of loose and acceptable, if everybody was able to, de- you know, decipher good enough, everything would be a train wreck, right? It'd just be a whole train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, that's the other thing about the flip that the, the, okay, so now we have 18 sides to the same coin, but, um, <laughs> but another flip side is even if you're right and everybody else in the pit is right, the people on stage are more right than you by definition. So if they skip a line or something, you've got to just, you know, Oh, time to drop a beat. Go, you know, but in a band, it's the same thing. Follow the leader, follow the the lead singer. Yep. Right. Make, make that person look good and it will make your band look good. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to remember that, that you are there more so than in a rock band, but, but the same thing holds. You're absolutely right. You know, your, your job is not to shine for you. Occasionally you might have moments in a show where, yeah, you know, you can, you can play out a little and somebody might notice, but otherwise you're, you're there not to be noticed. You're there to support, you know, what's happening on stage. It's a team sport. It is, but, but there's, there are more important members of the team than you, right? I mean, they don't, most of the time in theater that that's not how it is. It's, you know, backstage, it's a very community kind of thing, but, but Mm -hmm. when the show's on, those people on stage are more important than you. Yeah. They're, well, they're the ones that are putting out and they're the ones that are going to get the criticism. They're the ones that are going to get the praise. That's it. And they're the ones that are making the entertainment at the time. Well, that's it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very supportive role. Um, but I like, like I said, I like it because you, you, even though if they make a mistake, you got to follow them. We, you know, you can expect perfection out of them just as they expect perfection out of you. And yeah. it's, it's nice. I, I, like I said, it's refreshing. I mean, it's, it's a little bit, it's a pressure cooker, but I, I, you know, that's why we play live, isn't it? It's because, absolutely because of that pressure cooker. I mean, to me, that's where, that's where the magic of life happens, right? I mean, it's like you get to, it's performance art, right? It happens in the moment. How many times, how many times have you had a band guy who just wasn't cutting it, making the same mistakes over and over again, you know, and it's a whole topic, right? So there's mental mistakes, you know, yeah. mistakes of concentration. There's mistakes of overreach, trying to do something that your chops just can't support. Have you ever had to be like, you know, dude, I'm trying to stick with you on this, but you know, you're making the same mistake and it's really, it's got to get better. It's not going to work for me. Yeah. I, I, again, I've been on both sides of that. You've um, been on, you've been, you've been told to step it up. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. What band was that? Uh, most recently it was the, uh, the band I was playing in. I, I don't know if it was right when we met, but it was maybe right after we first met, uh, this band called the responders. Uh, it was just a, it was a four piece. We were playing Beatles stones, Motown kind of Connecticut, stuff. Connecticut, right? Yep. And, uh, and I was just having trouble, you know, finding their groove with them. And, mm. and the guy who led the band was not overly forgiving. And that really got in my head. I mean, in a bad way, which made me play worse because now I was, you know, as soon as your confidence is shaken, it doesn't matter how, yeah. how much technique you have, especially as a drummer, you got to sit at that throne and own it, <laughs> you know? And, and that was the problem was 
you know, we started playing and things weren't gelling quite right. And we didn't have a whole lot of rehearsal time together. It was just like, get on stage and go. And uh, cause they had a lot of gigs booked and, and it wasn't gelling. And so there was, especially from, from the leader, but I was getting it from all three of them. Like, you know, this isn't working. What's, what's going on. And of course that shook my confidence to the point where wow. now it's actually going to make this problem worse before it gets better. You know, how interesting I it's just knowing you, as long as I know you, it's hard for me to fathom you in that type of a situation, knowing your chops, knowing your training, you know, all that type of stuff. But that was a, that was a, a chemistry thing that turned into a emotional thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fair, that's a fair thing. I mean, you know, there was this expectation of instant chemistry mm. uh, and it, it, from all of us and it just didn't happen. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I got to own my part in it. They, but they had a, a drummer before me who's, who had basically one groove that he played, but his time was kind of all over the place. And they had recorded a bunch of demos with him and they told me they're like, play it just like the demo. So I did. I mean, I learned like his little nuances of the time and everything. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, dude, you got to, you know, you can't waver the time. It's like, well, I'm playing it like the record, man. Yeah, he did. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Right. And they're like, no, 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 no. You got to just pound it out. It's like, okay. And finally it was, you know, I think I got pissed at one gig, Uh, not drunk, pissed, not the English version of pissed, the American version. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to listen to you. You shut up. I'm just going to play. And at the end of the gig, they're like, dude, whatever you did, that's it. Thank you. You know, it's like, okay, I just needed to, I I needed to create my own confidence. And then that was that. Then it was great from then on out. (laughs) But you know, I haven't, I haven't auditioned. Yeah. Wow. I haven't auditioned a lot of drummers in my life. I mean, Joe's been the house rocker drummer for right. Like 14 years now. But um, I do remember the process of going through drummers. So, so the first drummer I played with when I put the house rockers together was a technically very, very good drummer. Um, but there wasn't the chemistry never clicked and, and um, it wasn't, it, it wasn't fun. And so, you know, we moved on from that and we had a couple guys. I remember auditioning and I'm, I'm really amazed at drummers. Uh, you know, maybe it's everything, but it seems worse for drummers to me. You know, there were guys who would come in, they knew the type of music they, that we played and they insisted on trying to be John Bonham, you know, in the Blues Brothers type of thing, right? I mean, just loud and 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 uh, not listening very much and and laying stuff down. And was, I remember really clearly, weirdly, when Joe came to audition, he um, he was really mellow. I mean, he, you know, he came in and he had a couple of good ideas, and we played some blues. And he was being a little bit more artsy, and I was like, "Dude, hit your drums!" And <laughs> he was like, "Really?" You know, you know, and and. Yeah. And then we, then we, then we dug in a little bit and I was like, Oh, this is the guy. And, and Joe's really interesting. The story of how Joe came to play for us is really fantastic. So he put an ad in, on Craigslist right at the time I started looking for a new drummer. And he said, I do what I do. Well, I, I worship at the Holy Trinity of drummers, Charlie Ringo and Max Weinberg. Oh, wow. So you know, my, my ears went, oh, what? And so uh, we called him and we came in, like I said, he came in and he was kind of doing, he was kind of doing like a, a Steve Gadd type of artsy type of thing, you know, and, and it was cool, but um, you know, I wanted to hear him. I wanted to hear him be Ringo and, and Max. Yeah. So I said, dig in. And he did. And, and it was like really, really cool. And uh, so, you know, we had this kind of kindred spirit and this kind of goes to what you're talking about with the responders. There's something huge to be said, regardless of how good a musician you are. 
a common dictionary of music takes bands a long way. Sure. You, you know, yeah. if, if, if there's a common love, a common understanding of, of nuance of certain things, um, cause those, those are the things you hear, especially when you're playing covers, right? Yeah. You hear that very subtle thing that you listen to on that record all the time and you just assume it's going to be there. And when someone doesn't have that dictionary and they're not placing those nuances in the right place, you know, it can be okay, but it just feels wrong. But when a band, you know, I, I really think that, that that's a great thing for a band. It, it, even when we were doing the Macworld All-Star Band, those songs that we all knew and loved together came together really fast, were incredibly fun to play. Yep. They felt right, you know, pretty easy because we all knew them deep in our DNA. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's funny you say that because with the responders, I came in with deep knowledge. I mean, I, I grew up on the Beatles and Stones because of my my parents. Right. You know, and uh, but I I had a very different take, especially on the Beatles than than these guys did. These guys saw the Beatles as like a driving rock band, which they were. But I never really looked at it that way. Until mm. I met these guys, it was like, oh, well, they're, they're, you know, I mean, they're they're master song craftsmen and uh, they've got great harmonies and and the music just kind of serves that. And that's true. But when they played, they pounded it out. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, I, I think with the, I missed with that. the Beatles, with the Beatles, you can get enamored with the art of their music and, mm. you know, the, the amazing melodies and the amazing harmonies. But yeah, they were a rock and roll band and that's, that's where they started. I mean, they yeah. started exploring a new space that was unexplored, you know, amazing. But I mean, on, on every Beatles record, there's a, there's at least one pure rock and roll song. That's right. Well, and all the tunes have that drive. I mean, you know, I, I talked about how the responders had a drummer that played one groove. So did the Beatles, right? I mean, to a degree, but I don't say that in a negative light, uh, you know, I mean, Ringo, there's a there's a and we've talked about it on the show. There's a very kind of signature way that Ringo plays. And it's that very on top of the beat driving kind of thing. And I I just, you know, I, I had always ignored that. And uh, so that to your point, that lack of of that, that particular bit of the common language, I think I think, you know, served to. To, to make that process a little more painful I, again, once we got whatever, 10 gigs in with the responders, it was smooth sailing and it was just great from then on out. But yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those first couple of months, man, it was not fun for anyone. Um, I was, you know, my confidence was totally re- wrecked. Strange. Yeah. I've had it happen. Yeah. I, you know, it's happened at, at times. I mean, when I'm out of my element, it's fine. I had that with the blues band in Texas. I could play, uh, you know, straight eighth grooves all day long and they just sunk right in and were the most comfortable thing in the world. And that's the reason I got the gig with the band, but shuffles, mm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was, I was horrible. Right. horrible. And that was like, that was the, the Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. you know, the, the hangover of Stevie Ray Vaughan, everybody needing to, yeah. to cop those grooves. It took me a long time. I, uh, there were, I, there are two people in the world that I can credit with, uh, learning how to play shuffles. One is a woman whose name I will never know, uh, but she must have been in her 80s and we were playing a gig and I was watching her feet while we were playing a, a shuffle. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's how you do. <laughs> wait, this, wait, wait, wait. Right? She was a drummer or she was a dancer? She was a dancer. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> she was just dancing. She was with her husband. They were, you know, dancing. And and it, but yeah. I just watched her feet and it was like, 
oh, I get it. There was just something about the way she moved. It was like, that's it. Okay, I get it. And then I played with a bass player who, who passed away, uh, a guy named Larry Lange, who played with Delbert McClinton for a while. And, and, uh, but he, you know, he was with, he was with some serious people and he would sit in with us a couple of times and we played, uh, Clapton's tour down with him once. And, uh, you know, it was like, it's when he, cause and it was a tune we played and our bass player was kind of a, he was a great player, but he, he was pretty laid back. He didn't really care if it wasn't perfect. You know, he was like, fine. And Larry did care. And as soon as we started the tune, he had this like driving shuffle going on uh, with the bass. And he kind of looked at me like, dude, you know, <laughs> giddy up. It's like, oh yeah. Ah, now I see what you mean. You know, and then it, and then it locked right in. Was All right. So I got, I got a good little exercise for you. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Let's go back and forth. Beatles songs that you think everybody should try. And they might not be the obvious ones, but Beatles songs that, that people should, should, uh, should try out in their band. Oh, you go first. Uh, wow. I'll start with from me to you. Ooh. All right. It's maybe uh, you're a rich man. Oh, wow. Uh, drive That's my car. That is a drive. My car would be my next one. It's, um, it's a, it's a tricky. I mean, the whole thing is tricky, right? Um, but it's got a groove and you've got to know how to count that odd time intro. So we actually, in our band, we do the, the medley version of drive my car. That is from the Beatles love thing. Oh yeah. You know, the, yeah. So it's, it's uh, drive my car. What, what you're doing yep. and the word. Yeah. All three of them are pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, how about, how about tell me why dude, I love that tune. That's harmonies on that are, um, are tough, especially if you choose to do three parts and have somebody sing the George part. That's the hardest one to learn and hear. It's the, it's the middle part. Yep. But it's just an odd line, right? Yep. It's just, yeah. it's that, tell me why you cried. Right. It's just, but it's just, <laughs> it's right in the middle there and it's hard yeah, to just hear. Drones. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. You go next. You should play day tripper. But play it right. Get the get the middle correct. Only do it six times. I believe it's been a long time since I've done that tune, but I feel like that's that's the right number of uh, of times for that. Yep, that's we play that one. That's a good one. It's funny. You're, so we play drive my car and day tripper. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about um, um, well, we do the end? Or I, I told oh, you this before. We, yeah. we we try the end. Right. The, the right. end is a great exercise in a few things. So that also has a really, that, that harmony at the end of the end. I, you know, I always had these grand plans of, of ending shows with the end. Cause you know, Why love you take is, right. Of course. I mean, that's what it was written for. Right. right. But um, it, th- those harmonies are really hard. Uh, and, but it, I will say that is a really fun jam. That is a really, oh, really. Yeah. Fun. And it's also a, a great exercise for guitar players because that is almost the epitome of, you know, it's like, you know, John, John played some lead and George plays lead, and it's, and is the epitome of those kind of very, very weird kind of half country, half blues, you know, training that George had. They're really weird licks. Right. And um, a lot of, you know, sk- uh, string skipping and that type of thing. Uh, but it's really, really fun. And it's a, I would say that that, that jam at the end, cause it's got, 
a very you know typical Ringo approach to things, especially yep. with the with the fills and the you know the drum solo part of it. And uh, that that's a cool song. You learn a lot about the Beatles by by digging deep into exactly how they played that. You learn you learn Ringo stuff. You learn Georgia stuff. You learn John Paul uh, John Paul and George's harmony style. It, it it is probably one of the most unique lines that they've ever sang. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I've never tried that tune. Fun, fun. Talk to the boys. Report back to us. That's right. Is it is it my turn or your turn? Are we are we done? Because <laughs> I can go a we long can do it time all night. with this. Yeah, yeah. We, we do it all night. So I, well, I I think there's there's a group of songs of which every band should learn at least one. And, and these are the, you know, when I get home, you can't do that and you're going to lose that girl, right? Because these, it, once you get into them, even though when I get home might not be as popular as the other two, they are quintessential Beatles straight ahead rockers, right? And, and there's, that's the song that has, those are the songs that have that Ringo groove, that driving oh, bass line. Wait, wait, wait. Okay can't buy me love and i want to hold your hand that's 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 kind of the that's where you start the whole education i'll I'll give you want to hold your hand maybe but can't buy me love is not is it is a great song don't get me wrong really hard to sing really hard to sing but um (laughs) but is not it's not that that's more that shuffly kind of ringo groove right you know it it's um it, whereas, whereas the can't do that's and the, the you're going to lose that girl. That's that straight eight. I mean, mostly straight eighth kind of just driving, loping kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I mean, these other songs aren't bad, but but you got to do one of those three. I think I'm with you. Ticket to ride too. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Eight days a week. Oh, I love. Have you played eight days a week? We did. Oh, it. we did. Remember? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. I like that. That's a cool song because. It is a song that has such a unique like tonal quality to it, to the guitars of it. But, but anybody, it's not hard to play. And all of a sudden you sound like a genius guitar player when you, you know, let those open strings of the guitar ring as you kind of moving that, that D shape up and down the neck. It's just, you, you sound way better than you actually are playing eight days a week. Yeah, that's true. And then there's the songs that everybody plays the back in the USSR that come together and the SAR standing there. But um, I don't, consider any the any of those a real lesson in learning to play the Beatles. I mean, yeah, I'd to, actually put come together. Put, is fun. Come together is a lot of fun. And there's, it's a nuanced song. Yeah. Um, saw her standing there is kind of the discussion we had about, about uh, Mustang, Mustang Sally. Sally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turn, turn the freaking distortion off, please. Yes, please. Right. Right. Yeah. Play it right. And, and that's the problem with back in the USSR as well is, yeah. you know, it, there's, it's easy. Everybody knows the song well enough that, you can just play. You it. can do bad, you can do bad things to it, and people still like it. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, man, it's good. Have you ever played "I'm a Loser"? No. Oh, so Maybe much acoustic. fun. So much fun with the harmonies. Ah, oh, it's a That's blast. Cool. And then, of course, the my favorite Beatles song to play with you was the second round of "One After Nine Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's cool. To, that's cool to do. Um, how about I feel fine? That that's a that's similar to what I was saying about eight days a week. Yep. I feel fine is not a hard draw, jump thing to do, but you sound incredibly creative if you can pull off that riff, right? Yeah, it's that Ray Charles. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, kind of a rumba type of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Fun stuff. 
so many good songs. <laughs> All right. So then, not today, but next time or sometime we'll, we'll pull this out and we'll do the same thing. We'll surprise each other and pull out stones tunes. Love it. Yep. I think that gets us to the end, Paul. It was fun. Fun stuff. Folks, tell us your favorite. If we didn't hit it already, uh, tell us your favorite Beatles song to play or learn. And that's uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Anything to leave them with? Glad Paul? you're back. Well, I'm just glad you're back playing. So we'll get some good gig stories coming out of you, right? Yeah. I, I picked up a theater gig for uh first week of November. And so, uh, and then I've got some other, you know, rock and roll gigs happening before then too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, it's weird. This is this, doing this show is the longest that I've been other than like showering without uh, any splint or anything on my hand. Cause I just got it from the drums and came over and did this. And mm. it's, uh, it's weird. Cause I'm, you know, I've spent a month constrained, but it feels, it's good. It's good. But, you know, and I'm definitely, I'm not fully healed. I'm sure. I'm sure it's one of these things that'll take a while, but, um, but I'm way better than I was a month ago. Back in the saddle again. That's right. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks, folks. We will see you next week. Take it easy.